And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. can uh, have a seat. It's good to be with you all this morning, and we're going to be looking at Mark 10. So you can go ahead and open your Bibles to Mark 10. If you need a Bible, we have some on the back tables there. Please feel free to go get one now. It'll be helpful for you to kind of look, be in the Word with us to taste and see the goodness of God that's revealed to us here. As you're getting to Mark 10, I'm going to tell you a little bit about kind of this this thing that I do. When I first started following Christ in my early 20s, um, God really opened my eyes to my pride, and that was a good gift. And with this new awareness of pride, I started doing this thing where I would think of the most humble person that I knew And then I would start filtering real situations through the lens of that person, almost, right? Something would come up, and I would think, how would that person deal with this thing? And that would kind of help me. Give me an example of Christ, not because the person was Christ, but the humility through them was was a helpful example. So I do this more often now, and it's not just limited to, to the category of humility, but I think of multiple people who I admire, and then I compare the traits in them that stand out to me. And it continues to give me examples of Christ in multiple ways, but another thing it does that I wasn't, I wasn't planning or really prepared for is it actually gives me access and reveals what's important to my heart, right? So whatever I admire in other people or whatever I admire in the world is directly connected to the condition of my heart and what my heart values. So it's actually been a real kind of healthy accountability check for me. It would be helpful for you all to try, too. Not right now. We have work to do here in Mark, but, but maybe later you could try it. But before following Christ, 
I didn't make these lists, but I bet if I would have, it would have revealed some, some weird and, and broad things about my heart, right? Maybe after my parents' divorce as a fifth grader, you know, my mom probably would have been at the top of this list for good reasons, right? Strength and stability for me and my sisters during a tough time. A lot of my childhood would have been probably had Michael Jordan at the top of the list, right? My identity was sports. I loved sports, and he had, he had everything that I thought I wanted, right? He was the best player in the world. People know his name. He has significance. Late in high school, early college, probably a variety of athletes would have made my list, some actors, some rappers. I was obsessed with hip-hop. I don't look like I would be obsessed with hip-hop. I was obsessed with hip-hop. And I loved what the world had to offer, right? It would have revealed my heart was really connected to the things of the world. Thankfully, fast forward to today, my lists now primarily consist of people who imitate Christ. We can agree that's, that's a good thing. But the things that stick out to me now in people are things like spiritual wisdom, contentment, generosity, other attributes that represent an identity in Christ. So the type of people that make my lists now, they don't really care if they're famous to the world. They don't care if people know their name. They don't care if they're on my stupid lists, right? They don't need that to be content. They're the type of people who are experiencing the goodness of God. And they have something to offer to others. So why this is relevant for us today, I did this most recently in April, and a new guy made the list for the first time. He had never been on there before, and as I studied and prayed through Mark ten seventeen through 31 to bring to you all today, I kept being reminded of him over and over. And it didn't really fit directly, and I thought, what, what, what am I supposed to do with this guy here? And I thought, well, I'm going to introduce him to you, because I think he's been really helpful for me over the past few months. I think you all can learn something from him as well. I'm not going to tell you his name, though. That would ruin it. I'll tell you at the end. You'll get to meet him. Let's pray together, though. I, I, want, I want to ask God to help us here together. Lord, you're so good to us to allow us to gather here in your name as your people. And God, I want you to feed your sheep today through your word. Despite me, use me. To open the eyes of your people to your goodness through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we're coming out of last week's text. Um, those of you who are into math or that type of thing, Gary and Grant are two primary preachers. Together preached last week, and together they preached four verses, right, for two people. This week, <laughs> the new guy gets 15 verses. Amen. Yeah. yeah. I fear some of you would be into that math. But they looked, at, they looked at verse 15, and they, they saw the children coming to God with, with this childlike faith that's desirable. Jesus said in verse 15, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So we're going to see what it looks like when a man does not receive the kingdom of God, and how even as believers we don't receive the goodness of God when our hearts are distracted by lesser things, and therefore our eyes aren't open to see what's right in front of us. In Mark 10, 17, we're going to meet the rich young ruler, or the rich young man. And this is an account that's also written about in Matthew and Luke. Okay, so there's three parallel accounts. 
And what we know about this guy is that he's young. He has great possessions and wealth. Luke 18, 18 specifically identifies him as a ruler. And so we know this man has great status, right? People know his name. But the man sees there's something that he could maybe add to his life. And so he's looking to Jesus to help him. So look with me here. Mark 10, 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So the man approaches Jesus respectfully, calling him good teacher or good rabbi. And teachers were held in high regard in that time. Rabbis were were highly respected. So it wouldn't have been strange that the young man approaches Jesus respectfully, but the word good that he attached to the title of rabbi is noteworthy because of, of cultural significance there. So in Judaism, only God is characteristically called good. So rarely was a rabbi addressed as good teacher for fear of blasphemy against God who alone is seen as good. So on the surface, it appears his choice of words is good, right? We'd say so far so good for this guy, but This is where we're introduced to the extreme disconnect that exists as Jesus will start to get in to his heart. So he asked Jesus there, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Matthew's account actually says it this way, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? I wanted to do something to earn this. But Jesus says, we see his reply there, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So Jesus identifies here and exposes the foundational problem with this guy, even though, this is the irony, right? Even though Jesus, who is the source of this salvation, he stands right in front of this man. The man does not have eyes to see because his heart is distracted by other things. So even though he goes through the right motions of calling Jesus a respectable name, he actually has no idea the weight and the meaning of the word good that he's using. But on the flip side, what does Jesus know about this man? Well, Jesus knows exactly who he's talking to and what the condition of this man's heart is. 1 Samuel 16, 7, we'll have this up on the screen here. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart Jesus lovingly continues there in verse 19. He says, You know the commandments. Do not murder, commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing. Again, remember, Jesus knows this man's heart specifically. He's speaking right to his heart. Go, Sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Church, it says Jesus loved him. The way it describes the way that Jesus looked at this man in verse 21 is such a compassionate way of looking at someone. We see Jesus act this way with different people throughout the book of Mark so far. Mark 1, his interaction with the leper. Mark 6, 
When a great crowd gathered on the shore because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, he looked at these people this way. Mark 8, when he had compassion on a crowd because they had been following him for three days and had nothing to eat, that's before he fed them miraculously. So he looks at the rich young man in a similar way with this compassionate love here. Then he relates to him by naming off some of the Ten Commandments because those would have been well known in that day and And it's notable that Jesus even adds something to the list. And it's notable because what he's illustrating here is it's not just specifically about following the words that God gave Moses years earlier. If it was, he wouldn't have added anything to the list. But if you look in there, biblical scholars of you, you probably saw this, Jesus adds in, do not defraud which actually isn't one of the original Ten Commandments. But he adds that there to speak to the heart, and it relates to this man because he would have definitely understood the concept of money. It would have been relevant to him, right, with his experience in wealth. But then we see the man's response, and he, re- he just legitimately thinks that he's kept all of the commandments, right? He says, I've, yeah, I've done it all since my youth. He thinks he's on the right path to earn salvation based on his works, The Bible tells us otherwise. In Mark 7, a few chapters back here, Jesus teaches about sin being a heart issue, right? He's responded to some Pharisees in Mark 7, and he calls them hypocrites because they say things that seem to be good, but inside their hearts are wicked. Jesus sees that. Mark 7, 6 and 7 says, As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You skip down to 20, Mark 7, verse 20. We're going to see what comes out of the heart of man, which makes it sinful. He said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. It's because the man doesn't have eyes to see. He thinks that he's accomplished all these things. But sin comes from within our hearts. So it doesn't matter what we speak with our mouths if the sin in our heart is there. Jesus is teaching that we commit murder in our hearts even if we think of it. For that reason, we look, at all, we look at that whole list, we all commit sins on that list. We can't pretend that we've accomplished these things because our hearts are dark. Every time I look at another woman with lustful intent, I commit adultery. Every time I see something online in someone else's life that I envy, I sin. Every time I wish I had more money and put my hope in that instead of being thankful and content with my lot, In life, with what I have, I sin because I'm putting my trust in something other than God. And that's breaking the most important commandment of all, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Jesus says that's the greatest commandment of all. Our hearts are putting something in the place of our God, and that's a problem. That's a problem here for the rich young man. So we see there he walks away disheartened. 
because his heart was too closely tied to his great possessions and it was blinding him from the goodness that was right in front of him. Jesus was saying, forget that stuff. Come, follow me. I'll show you what true goodness is, what true joy is. You can follow me and enjoy me instead of trying to fill it and find joy in things that will never give you the same satisfaction. It'll just be temporary. And I know this, I I feel this, because there would have been times early in life when my list of influential people would have revealed that my heart valued money, fame, approval of man, people following me, because I had something to offer. Because I didn't yet have eyes to see the goodness of God right in front of me. I was in the darkness. Ecclesiastes 2.14 says, The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. I was a fool. I'm now a recovering fool. I acknowledge it. I still have those tendencies in my flesh, right? But there's hope. I don't have to be there all the time. The rich young man turns away, continues to walk in the darkness. We read on, verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God and The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. The King James Version translates verse 24. It says, How hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? I like that visual. Trust in riches. That's the issue there. Verse 25, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The rich young man's heart was trusting in riches, and and so Jesus is now directing his attention to his disciples to continue this ongoing shepherding of them and to teach about money and wealth. And he often taught about money because he knows the condition of man's heart better than anyone, and he knows that money gets in the way of people experiencing his goodness. So it says here it's incredibly difficult to trust in riches to hope in things that you can see. Matthew six nineteen through 21, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. More illustrations to show how real this is. 1 Timothy 6, 9-10 But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Ecclesiastes 5.10, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. It does not satisfy. You can't serve God and money. Those whose hearts are obsessed with money will never be satisfied. Rich young ruler, you can't trust in your wealth and possessions and follow Jesus. Those things don't go together. Church today, us, 
We cannot obsess about our bank account balance and follow Jesus at the same time. Our heart will be pulled one way or another. We can't worry about the financial future and follow Jesus at the same time. But I'm with you in this, right? I understand. I'm, I'm, I'm here with you. I understand that money has to be a part of life. And I think that's what makes it so difficult. We have to have some sort of relationship with it, right? We've got to use it. We have to deal with it. So the question is, how then do we deal with money without loving it and without hoping in it? Let's see what the Word says. I think one example would be by being a cheerful giver. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What else might be the opposite of loving money? How about giving in a way where no one knows your name because your motive is worshipful and honoring to God instead of drawing attention to yourself? Matthew 6, 3 and 4. But when you give to the needy, not if, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Our Father knows our hearts. And the goodness of God here is revealed as God sees a pure heart and blesses a pure heart and rewards a pure heart with His goodness and with joy and contentment, peace with your lot. Jesus goes on to illustrate there the difficulty of entering the kingdom of God. He uses what we call hyperbole there, with the camel and needle illustration. It's not meant to be taken literally. Okay, it is, it's hyperbole though, but it's, it's to help the listeners grasp how difficult this can be. Right? We wanted to bring in a camel and show you this, right? My camel guy is on vacation. Couldn't get, yeah, I know. Everyone needs a good camel guy, right? But Jesus uses this exaggeration to open their eyes just to the reality of how wealth can destroy. Especially that's when, when that's what we treasure. I think one of, the, one of the problems maybe for us, church, is that we can come to this text. We, we've heard of probably of the rich young ruler before. We can come to this text and we can scoff at the text. We can scoff at rich people. That's not me. No one here has too much money, right? If you do, talk to me afterward. I have some ideas. But no one has, no one has too much money. So we can distance ourselves because we say, no, I'm not like him. This is not me. Oh, a week of the rich young ruler. Cool, this is a week I can get excited. I can disconnect and I can think poorly about rich people. As Jesus would say, woe to you, church. Woe to us. We have to humble ourselves and identify with this guy's heart. Because the wealth and possessions aren't the enemy. Our love of it, the rich young ruler's love of it and identity in it is the problem. Wealth is not the problem. It's a huge potential stumbling block for sure. The ultimate sin comes from within our hearts. And just to illustrate one example, I don't want to overload examples this way, 
But to prove one biblical example of how wealth is not the issue, we look at Ecclesiastes 5, 18 through 20. It says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Church, we have a beautiful picture here. We're told to be content with what we have, right? If the fruit of the Spirit is contentment. We're told to be thankful, to find enjoyment in our work while we're we're here on earth. Not hoping in our work, not hoping in our status or career, but instead being content and thankful, soaking up God's goodness. In verse 20 it says, His hope wasn't in this life. Therefore, wealth and possessions weren't the thing that were satisfying him. That's the difference. His hope was in eternal life, the reward to come, and not in the earthly possessions. Regardless of what some terrible teachers might say, earthly wealth is never promised. And most most of us wouldn't be able to handle it, I don't think. I don't think it's a good thing to desire that. God wants us to be thankful with our lot, knowing that there's joy to experience right now with what He's given us. But are our eyes open to His goodness, church? Moving on in Mark 10, verse 26. They were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Followers of Christ who are, who are hearing this word, you know that faith in what we can't see is what gives us security, right? The rich young man couldn't see. He wanted to do something specific to try to earn it, but this says with man, it's impossible. We can't bring anything to the table. We can't add to the equation. The people on my lists now that I admire understand they can't bring anything to the table. They live with contentment. I admire that. And it has to be all God who gives life to our dead hearts to begin with. It has to be only God who gives us eyes to see. And then through faith, as we exercise faith, we can actively pursue this and get access to His goodness here. Foundational verse From Ephesians 2, 8-10, through 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
He created us. He gave us life. He gave us eyes to see. Now, as we follow him, we get to walk in these good works that are talked about in Ephesians 10. 2.10, sorry. He lets those who believe in him and follow him not only have eternal life, which is the greatest gift of all. It's why we gather here. It's what we hope in. But we also get to enjoy him now. And I think that's what we miss sometimes as the church. I think, we, I think we miss the current joy that we have access to because I think our hearts get distracted so easily. We'll look at some evidence here. Moving back to Mark 10, down to 28 now. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. And there's so much we could dig into here, and I wanted to. Grant wouldn't let me preach for 87 minutes. Yeah, I told him, you guys want that. So blame him afterward. Um, the picture here in verse 29 he's talking to the disciples about and kind of addressing them about what they have left this is relevant for us too Um, the disciples left comfort when Jesus said come follow me and the good news for for the disciples here is that they gave up what they knew right what was comfortable and Peter's addressing this in verse 28. He says, see, we've left everything, right? Like, see, we, we, we're trying to do this. And Jesus then affirms that they're right where they should be, walking with him. But he even goes further in verse 30 to say that when they, and when this is relevant for us, church, when we now today follow Jesus, when our hearts are set on him, we'll receive a hundredfold now in this time. This means we get to experience His goodness today in addition to eternal life, which is the greatest gift of all, right? I still, I don't want to diminish that, right? That's the foundation. But we have access and we get to taste and see His goodness now too. But I think we disconnect from that sometimes. We don't really understand that that's real for us. I think sometimes we believe that by giving up everything to follow Jesus, that sometime, like, somehow that means we're supposed to be miserable every day, right? It's like in the future, yeah, that day I'll have joy kind of, but it, oh, man, I have, to, I just have to sit and sulk in this misery, right? But the Bible says otherwise. It says that God's goodness is ready for us to receive right now. And the part I can't dig into that I want to is, is the list there in, in, in verse 30. It says, we'll receive a hundredfold now, and it lists houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. That's the church. That's the new family that we have. No matter what our earthly family looked like, good or bad, this earthly family won't give you the same fulfillment that God's family will give us, and that's the church brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the ongoing relationship here 
that I get access to as I spend this week in and week out with the same small group of people in our city groups, my new sisters and brothers, we get to be vulnerable. We get to experience God in a way that is uncommon to the world. But God says it's not limited to just people. It's, it's all of His creation. There's goodness everywhere, but are our eyes open? Psalm 34, 8 and 10 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I want you to note these words, taste and see. These are present tense words for right now. It's right now. It's today. The goodness of God is right in front of us, whether we see it or not. Just like it was with Jesus and the rich young man when they stood face to face. And so church, I want us to remember this text. And when you hear about the rich young ruler, I don't want you to scoff at rich people. I, want, I don't want you to instantly disconnect. I want you to think about you being in that position. And I want you to be reminded that the goodness of God is right in front of us, that we have access to it. And I want that to remind you that whatever your heart is treasuring at that time will probably be a direct reflection of whether or not you're tasting and seeing the goodness of God or whether your heart is set on other things that are blinding you from His goodness that's right in front of you. And sometimes these biblical concepts, they can sound good, but it's hard to connect. Like, what does that, how does that actually play out? How do we actually receive the goodness of God? I believe we cannot experience the goodness of God if we don't live in His Word and believe in His Word and trust in His Word because that is how we will begin to taste and see that the Lord is good. We have to know His Word. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. It's right in front of us. Do we see it? Do we know it? It's profitable for all of us. But it doesn't just happen on its own. That's the issue I think we run into. True followers of Christ right, have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our helper. It's God in us, helping us to open our eyes. The Holy Spirit helps us see and experience God when our knowledge of His Word comes in contact with everyday life. This is how we can see and experience His goodness moment by moment. Ephesians 6.17 alludes to the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Right, The Word of God is the tool that the Holy Spirit uses to help us see God's goodness. The more we know it, the more of His goodness we can receive. People who make my lists right now that I admire, they know the Word. And I want to highlight kind of one segment of God's goodness here. 
There's, there's infinite examples of it, but I want to I show you how this can play out in God's creation because God's goodness is ready to be received everywhere in creation. This is where I might lose a few of you because this might get a little bit weird for some people, okay? You expect that from me, right? Those who know you. I got to go there. Yeah, yeah. So, Genesis 131, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Creator of the universe rested on the seventh day after creating everything and seeing that it was good. Do we have eyes to see the goodness of God in his creation? Do we know that he can actually give us great joy through experiencing his creation? Church, we are now going to consider the birds together. Yeah. And I would say everyone, whether they know God or not, can in some way probably get some, some entertainment from birds. Right? Birds are fascinating. All the different varieties, the color, the designs, the mating habits are fascinating, right? We watched this documentary, Kessa and I did, about this type of bird. It clears this area on the ground, and it does this elaborate type of dance. Some of you might have seen this. And the females... They, they kind of watch and evaluate, kind of like a reality show almost, like, ah, how good is it? And then if they think it's good enough, then they fly in and, and they mate. And that's, that's just fascinating, right? Even if you, if you don't know God, that's, there's still some fascination about that. Ask Kessa for more, for more info. She'll tell you more depth about it. But the, the point is, anyone can get some sort of enjoyment from that, right? The reward would be temporary and shallow and limited if you don't know the Word. What if you know the Word? What if you know that birds are talked about in God's Word over a hundred times? And that just by knowing the Word, then anytime you see birds, the Holy Spirit could kind of help you be remembered, help you remember God's goodness in some way that would not be possible Without it, and what if that would give you contentment and joy? Let's look at it. Isaiah forty thirty one. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. If I know the word, I can see a bird and be reminded of God's promises here from Isaiah that tell me strength will rise when I wait upon the Lord. Because he tells me that in his word, through the image of an eagle. How about Psalm 105.40? They asked, and he brought quail and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. I can see a bird somewhere, and now I can be reminded of God's provisions for his people in the wilderness in Exodus when he brought them and delivered them. And he cared for them, and he brought them quail to eat. And that can help remind me day in and day out how he provides for me every day. But only if I know the word, only if I know that, can I connect those things and experience his goodness and feel contentment. Matthew ten twenty nine through 31, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. You ever question your value in life sometimes? 
You ever worry about the future sometimes? Well, you could actually see a bird and be reminded that God is sovereign and holds everything together and that you, as a human created in His own image, are being taken care of even more than the birds. His Word tells us all these things, but if I don't know it, I don't get to experience that depth of His goodness. Knowledge of the Word through the Holy Spirit as our helper gives us eyes to see and experience and taste the goodness of God. I want to give you a hundred more examples of creation. I'm fascinated by it. My eyes are continually being open to it. I'm reading Solomon's wisdom literature. He's talking about ants and stuff, like wisdom and ants. If you guys are feeling and tasting this, I want to talk about it. I want you to teach me because I never would have thought there's wisdom in ants doesn't make sense to my my mind. God's goodness is even in the ants. Are you receiving it, though? What is keeping you from receiving it? I'm not going to go too deep into this, but when our eyes are buried in technology, and when we have one free second, one free second when our default is to let our phone consume us, I think we'll miss the goodness of God all around us. That's just one thing that gets in the way. What if when you're waiting in the parking lot to pick up your child from school or practice or, or walking your dog or waiting on a prescription or when you first wake up in the morning or when you're sitting around your house and the kids want your attention, what if you were still for a moment and ask God what He wants you to see instead of instantly burying your head and your heart in the comfort of your phone I'll tell you what you'll experience. You'll experience His goodness, and it will give you so much contentment that the other things won't taste as good anymore. The addictions will start to fall away because they can't satisfy you like He does. We've got to open our eyes, though. The section closes, verse 31. Probably a verse that most of us have heard before, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. The rich young man would have been idolized in his day as one of the best. And I definitely would have had someone like him on my list at one time, for sure, as my heart desired the things that he stood for. But in God's eyes, he is last, and he will not see the kingdom of God. The lesson here is that you can't receive the kingdom of God when your heart is set on other things. And the lesson for believers here is that we can't receive the goodness of God when our hearts are distracted by lesser things because our eyes aren't open then. So as I mentioned, I studied this text, and this new guy who made my list for the first time recently kept coming to mind. And he kept coming to mind because he's the exact opposite of the rich young ruler. And so as a way of helping introduce him, I'm going to show you what the Word says about those who appear to be last culturally, but who God sees as first. Because my guy, who I won't tell you his name, as a poor man, fits into that category. So sometimes when you're at events or something, they'll give, um, they'll kind of give a resume before introducing the, the person who comes out on stage, and they'll really talk him up, Right? So this is kind of the resume for my guy before we meet him here. The resume is Psalm 37, 11, But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. My guy is meek. 
from Matthew 5, 3 and 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's a good resume, church. So here he is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you the guy. If some of you thought it was you, it is not you. I'm sorry. If you were kind of, if you had kind of had that hope this whole time, like I think it, I think it might be. No, it's not you. He's not hiding behind the door either. That would have been weird. But, but what we're gonna do? We're, we're gonna have two screens here, okay? And on the second screen, there's gonna be an underlined part, and you're all gonna read it with me. You're gonna help me introduce him, partially because I will cry during that part, and so you can you can help power us through. All right, so let's meet him now. Andrew, you can take us there. Ecclesiastes 9, 13 through 17. Solomon's writing here, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it. Great king, culturally first, right? Read this with me. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city, yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard in the world. The words of the wise, heard in quiet, are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Church, I can't, I can't tell you his name because I don't know his name. He made my list. I don't know his name. And there's beauty in that. I can't tell you his name because, because the Word doesn't tell us. And I imagine this man doesn't care at all that I don't know his name. He doesn't care. God knows his name and God knows his heart. God used him to... a to deliver the city that was being attacked by the great king. This poor man was not consumed by wealth. He probably instead enjoyed living simply, seeing the goodness of God through the birds even. He's on my list because I see humility and contentment in him. And I see evidence that God did mighty things through him. He made my list because in my flesh, I want people to know my name and think I'm great. I want people to follow me and praise me for my amazing feats. The more that I grow in Christ, I realize that stuff never satisfies me. So I need examples of people like this who are so content in Christ that they're actively tasting and seeing His goodness. And then they're equipped to deliver others when opportunity presents itself. The poor man didn't know the attack was coming, likely. But he was ready. Day in and day out, he was ready. God used him to deliver the city, to conquer a great king. I want God to use me to help deliver people to His kingdom. To show them that they can taste and see that He is good. In this passage, Jesus told the disciples, Come, follow me. 
Earlier, he said, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. The disciples are examples of people following him here, though imperfectly, often confused, but actively following him. God later used them to influence the rest of the world, and we're part of that line. He continues to tell us now, come, follow me, delight in me. Church, God's goodness is ready for us to receive through His Word. And that will continually open our eyes to taste and see that He's good. Let's pray together. Lord, Your goodness cannot always be explained in words. You are the giver of good gifts. You're the creator of all things. God, help us as your people. Help us to taste and see. Use us together. Keep us rooted in your word. Keep us humble as a people as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.